Another Way to Play, episode 29. Hi, this is Amber Furman, host of the More Than Corporate podcast. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my good friend, Hans Druzinha. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the nine-to-five rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is Amber Furman. Uh, She's a good friend of mine and is the owner-operator of Furman Law, which is a criminal defense and immigration law firm in Las Vegas. Uh, After she went through law school, she became fascinated with the way the mind works uh, and learning about limiting beliefs that we set on ourselves uh, and words and thoughts and the way they affect our actions. She is certified master practitioner in neuro-linguistic programming and uh, through all of that has also started her own podcast called The More Than Corporate Podcast, uh, where she focuses on finding fulfillment and defining success outside of the normal nine to five grind. Uh, In this episode, Amber talks uh, pretty personally and openly about uh, the passing of her father, which happened when she was uh, only a freshman in college and how that really uh, sent her on a very uh, downward spiral, as she puts it. She, She spun her wheels for almost six years never really got anywhere uh, in her undergrad studies and and pursuits, and ultimately uh, then found the law. When she then started to uh, pursue law, passed the bar on her first attempt, uh, got into the the corporate world of law, realized she really was not particularly fulfilled or excited by it, and in 2016 ultimately had, uh, as she calls it, a, a a total breakdown. Uh, she goes into that and talks how to identify that for yourself and then ultimately what to do about it, which uh, in her opinion, and, and I happen to share this, is to to get a coach, to get a friend, to get a mentor, to get somebody who can help you identify areas uh, that you might not be seeing or, or opportunities that are in front of you that, that you're not aware of, um, and also just bring another perspective to your situation. Amber also talks about pushing her personal boundaries, both physically, which she does through Tough Mudders now, uh, and that's a really cool story because she <laughs> she actually competed in a 24-hour Tough Mudder race, which she leans on heavily when things get tough for her, as well as uh, mentally stimulating herself in ways outside of work. So listen for all of that. This is a great conversation. I know you're going to like. Before we get into that, though, I would love to have a conversation with you. And so if you can uh, go check out uh, in the show notes, I've got my uh, Calendly link down there. I'd love to hear who you are, what you're liking on the show, uh, how we can make it better, what kind of guests we should get on, what questions we should ask them, or just have a chat about anything Olympic related, uh, the podcast, uh, business, what have you. I'm open to any and all topics. So, uh, when you finish this episode, go down into the show notes, get on the calendar, and without any further ado, here is my conversation with Amber Furman. Amber, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being a guest today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you. 
Well, we just heard your bio and you've got a lot going on, but, uh, and we're going to get into all of that, but why don't you take it back for us a little bit and tell us kind of where your journey began? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in a super, super small town in Idaho and, um, I'm not going to get too much into that because I feel like I had this, um, great childhood. Um, my parents were married and I had a, a really good upbringing. Um, but I think the reason I mention it is because I think growing up in a small town had such a big impact in what's important to me now growing up, being more focused on experiences and connections and things to that than materialistic type stuff. Um, because that's what we had to focus on growing up in a, in a small town. So I grew up in a super small town in Idaho and everything was pretty normal um, until I graduated from high school and went um, off to college. And during my first year of college, um, my dad was in an accident and passed away and kind of derailed my plans for what I thought I had scheduled for life. So, I mean, we all grow up thinking, we've got it figured out, right? Like when we graduate from high school, we think we've got everything all figured out and we know what our life entails. And at some point in time, there's always something that derails us. It's just a matter of when it comes. And mine came super early after I graduated wow. from high school. Um, and so that just had a huge impact on kind of everything else that has happened in my life. So obviously, sorry for your loss. And that that's a terrible thing to have happen at any age, especially at that age. Can you, um, if you're willing, talk about a little bit what you meant by the derailing and, and sort of how you went through that process and, and where you were going and then how that changed things for you? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, going into college, I didn't really have a plan. Um, the only thing that I knew is that I wanted to go to go to college. I was the first person in my family to go to college. Nobody in my, in my family had gone past high school in the past. And so I didn't really have this strong idea of where I was going to end up, but I knew that college was in the plans. And there were a lot of times where my dad and I, before he passed away, would talk about what my future held and he would encourage me to consider law school. And I kept telling him like, I don't want to go to law school. Nobody nobody likes lawyers and I like people and that those things just don't mix. And so when I went to school, I actually went for computer programming and I was a year into an associates program at Idaho state university focusing on computer programming for businesses when um, my dad passed away and it just completely changed my path. Um, I didn't, I took a semester off of school so when I went to go back, I would have had to restart that computer programming program over again if, if I wanted to start. And, and I, I didn't know that I wanted it that badly, but I didn't know what else I wanted. And so I was kind of stuck at this crossroads where everybody in my family was telling me that if I didn't go back to school, I would never go back. And I was in this position where I had lost the person that was by far the most important person in my life. And I didn't know what the future held. And so I followed everybody's advice and went back to school and just failed classes over and over again. For the first time in my life, I had always been a student. And 
I didn't know, I didn't know how to, to show up every day. So I put on this face, like we, we tend to go through actions um, and mm -hmm. we think that we're making progress, but what we're really doing is just spinning our wheels. And eventually we run out of gas and we realize that we haven't moved at all. And that happened about six years into my undergrad education. When I was six years in and still had, I, I wasn't any closer to a degree than when I started and I lost my financial aid because my GPA was too low um, because I had just failed classes. And that was my wake up call. And that's when I was like, I gotta have a direction. And my conversation with my dad came into play. And I thought, you know what? Maybe law school's not that bad of an idea. I took a undergrad constitutional law course and I didn't hate it. And so law school became in the picture and I didn't look back after making that decision. This sort of is an interesting way to get to this point because I've found through a lot of the conversations with my guests, there has been sort of a pivotal moment for many of them uh, trying to leave the workforce or leave a nine to five or, or a traditional way of doing things. And you had that uh, experience of spinning your wheels and running out of gas ultimately. And, and it unfortunately took losing the financial aid to, to see that. But you had that very early relative to some of the people that I've talked to. How, however, this, this conversation that you had with your dad restoked this flame of law school. And that has obviously sent you on a very different trajectory from that. Can you, can you talk about though the uh, the spinning of the wheels and kind of what that felt like? Because I imagine at the time, uh, it didn't feel like spinning your wheels. You felt like you were probably doing what you were supposed to do or, or am I mis, mis uh, informed on that? No, it's 100%. I probably didn't even acknowledge that those six years was the spinning of the wheels until probably a year and a half ago. I think a mm. year and a half ago was when it really hit me where everything kind of fell into place. And to, to comment on your point, I think I've, I can identify kind of two moments in my life where I've had that, that moment that you discussed where it's kind of that breaking moment. The first one was when I lost my financial aid and I had to kind of make a plan. But the second one was in 2016 after I had been a practicing attorney for a couple of years and it wasn't all I, I thought it was going to be. And, and what mm -hmm. I mean by that is that I expected, I had done everything I was supposed to do in life, right? You go to college, you get a degree. I went on to grad school. I graduated in the top 3% of my class in law school. I passed the bar on my first try job. And then you're working and every day is this nine to five um, or what 10 to 10 sometimes when you're, or mm -hmm. when you're working mm -hmm. as an attorney um, and your life just sucks because you expected all of your problems to disappear because you had done everything that you were supposed to do. And instead you have this life that's completely unfulfilling. And so I hit that point in 2016 and I started working on myself. And it wasn't until I started this personal development and mindset life coaching type idea after 2016 that I was able to reflect on what happened in the early 2000s when I was going through undergrad and realized that I was just waking up in the morning and going to sleep at night and doing something in between those two moments that made mm -hmm. me feel 
like I was doing what I was supposed to do, but really I wasn't even living my life. I was just existing. Mm, yep. It's funny because I think that that comment that you just made, I've, I've heard many times and that's honestly one of the biggest points of this podcast is like doing what you think you're supposed to do. Um, living that nine to five life and the commute, you know, going to college, getting married, all the things that quote unquote we're supposed to do. At no point is is there a conversation being had in high school, college, or on or beyond that I'm aware of on a broad scale that that says, you know, do some personal development, start to think about what you really uh, hope to achieve for yourself, what's meaningful to you, and then you know reverse engineer that life. It's it's really more of a you know just a set path that you just follow and and you will achieve success. And you even achieved it uh, in your law career, so to say, but it didn't get you where it is you hope to be. Can you give us a little bit more of a glimpse on that personal development side of things? Um, what it is you did specifically that really. Uh, helped you turn the page and um, paint that picture for us a little bit more? Yeah. So it started in 2016 when um, I hit my actual wall. I think that there's a lot of times that we think we've hit rock bottom and we don't really know what rock bottom is until when you hit it, you know. And so I can look back, 2016 was definitely my rock bottom. And I can look back and think of all the other times I thought I was at rock bottom and I wasn't. So in 2016, I had basically a four-day panic attack and couldn't breathe, couldn't work, couldn't eat. Like I was, those things you take for granted where, you know, we're here and we're talking and your, your breathing is working. Like I felt like I was reminding myself to breathe for four days and I needed to get help. And so it all started with admitting that I needed to talk to somebody that I had had at that point in time in 2016, my dad died in 2001. So um, 15 years of just burying emotions so that I didn't have to deal with them. And so for me, it started with therapy and it started with about a year of therapy of being willing to open up to emotions that I had buried for a long time and kind of in that same time frame, I found Tough Mudder and I started running obstacle course races. And my therapy in conjunction with my Tough Mudder was an amazing um, kind of group where I was physically pushing myself out of my comfort zone, which was reminding me that I could mentally push myself out of my comfort zone. And so together with my weekly therapy appointments, I was able to push past a lot of the limiting beliefs that I had created for myself. Once I got past that point um, where, I, where I felt like I was functioning on a higher level, then I started really becoming fascinated with the way that the mind works. And I started doing, um, if you're familiar with neuro-linguistic programming or NLP, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I started doing some NLP classes and I actually just finished the master practitioner certification for that. Um, and just really understanding on a functional level, how the thoughts that we think and the words that we say to ourselves and to other people impact our actions and impact our success. So it really all started from this rock bottom moment. And if someone's listening to this right now and is, and is maybe feeling like they're in that space, um, and you said, when you know, you know, like how, how did you ultimately know that that was the point? So I, um, 
for me, it was the physical attribute and specifically without going too far into what actually happened, but I was taken out of my physical comfort zone. So Mm -hmm. I lived in Las Vegas and I was visiting Reno for some court appearances when some things that happened in my life that I would normally react to in a particular way happened. And all of the ways that I would normally react to those were taken away from me because I was in a city where I knew nobody. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't go over to a friend's house or I couldn't, um, I I could call somebody, but nobody was answering their phone. And even if they did, when that phone call was off, I was back to myself. And so for the first time, I think in my life, I was left to rely on me and my own devices for four days. And I couldn't pull myself out of it. And so for me, that was the realization Mm. of finally being willing to accept that throughout the past when I had had these up and down moments that I had, somebody else had always been there to pull me out of those. And when I was left to rely on myself, I couldn't get myself out of that point. And to me, that was my rock bottom. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Cause I, I think it's really important to uh, obviously talk about these sorts of things and then identify them. Um, because as you said, it's, it's quite debilitating when you get to these places, something happens and you're, and you just don't know where to turn, but identification and, and then uh, putting a plan together in order to, to tackle it is really the best two first steps that you can take. Oh, 100%. Um, and the reason I talk about this so openly and the reason that I've gone on the path of, you know, networking and self-development and some of the things that led us to where we met is because I felt so alone in that moment. And I know now that I'm nowhere near alone. I know now that there's a ton of people who have gone through exactly what I've gone through and even super successful people, when we would look at someone and say, and define them as successful, um, they have had those moments as well. And so for me, it's important to share those things that we go through so that mm-hmm. we don't all feel alone when we, when we end up back in that point. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the questions I ask a lot of the guests is kind of what is the biggest success myth you've ever heard? And I want to ask that, but in a way of, and, and maybe this is, that is your biggest success myth that, that success is linear and that everyone or people don't go through that sort of up and down and they shouldn't talk about it and it shows weakness, but like, your journey is pretty pretty good example of there are tremendous ups and downs and roller coaster twists and turns uh, to get you know anywhere that you you would deem successful. Um, can you can you talk about that like opening up, having um, more frank conversations with people either publicly or privately, and like what that process was like for you specifically? Because it's it's not easy. Yeah, no, it's not at all. So I'm going to, I'll answer your first question. Um, and I think that there's two success myths that I, that I have that kind of tie in together. And the first one is that there's only one way to do it for me. And I think this comes from growing up in a small town as well. You know, you talked about education a little bit previously and you talked about, um, that it's not giving the tools to go into entrepreneurism or to show that there are other ways out there. And I think honestly, the education has become kind of a factory to get people from point A to point B and point B being graduation and on to whatever is next, normally Mm -hmm. college or the military. And growing up in a small town, that's even more prevalent because you have less opportunities to see people doing it differently. And Mm -hmm. so the 
biggest success myth that I had was number one, there's only one way to do it. And number two, that there's an end. That, that was my biggest issue was it was supposed to end at some point. My, my struggles were supposed to end and my life was supposed to begin at some point. And, it, and for me, I had identified that as after I graduated from law school and became an attorney and mm-hmm. everything was going to be okay. And so those two successes together is kind of what caused that crash. And I think that it happens for a lot of people that way. Absolutely. There's, I think in popular culture, I mean, every movie you watch or TV show or book or what have you has a beginning, middle and end. And they either they go off into the sunset or they don't or whatever's, whatever the case is. Um, and I can completely relate to that in my rowing career. I, I literally didn't think about the calendar turning to 2017 uh, post Olympics. Like it just didn't occur to me until we crossed the finish line. It was like, oh, now this is over and there's this whole new life to live. And I, like you, had to go seek some professional help to like work through some of the um, identity issues and and things that I was struggling with at that time um, in order to really kind of de uh, or or find my new new path outside of athletics. And um, sounds like you had yours come at the, in the the form of law school. Um, Yeah. Well, and then to get into your second point, um, because I think it's really important to talk about you, you had asked about opening up and having those, Mm -hmm. those conversations. And I think this is a super interesting or a super important, um, point to hit. So I want to make sure that, that I answer that. Um, and, and it wasn't easy. I struggled for a long time feeling like if I talked about these things that I would lose credibility in the legal field. And Mm. at that point in time, my identity was so tied to being an attorney that I would keep it all bottled up because if I was rejected in the legal field, I had nothing because that's Mm -hmm. all I saw myself as. And so when we're talking about being willing to open up, number one is like being honest with yourself about about what you really bring to the table because it's so much more than you really give yourself credit for. And Mm -hmm. so many times we put ourselves in these boxes where we feel like the world's going to end if we talk about these things. And in in reality, what happens is when you start talking about them, people come out of the woodworks and they say, you know what? I felt like that too. And that's what happened to me when I finally started talking about this in the legal profession is I would have attorney reaching out to me going, you know what? I suffer from anxiety too, or I've suffered from depression. And while that was comforting on one level, on the other level, I became super angry because I'm like, why are we all talking about how we've suffered from this, but nobody's talking about it publicly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so somebody has to take that first step. And if you're out there thinking that you have something to share, and I promise you do, then Mm -hmm. um, you should be out there sharing it because I guarantee you, you will resonate with somebody and you will impact somebody's life in a positive way. Absolutely. And, and having those conversations, I mean, coming, coming from elite athletics, it was very much like you do not have these conversations because it, it shows weakness. It shows that you're not committed. It shows whatever it, I mean, all of that stuff. And so a lot of us kept those things bottled up and, and like the legal profession, there's, there's a big, um, kind of a postpartum thing that happens when when an elite athlete retires or or steps down and goes into another world um, because their identities like as you so aptly put it is so tied up in that in that world and you know if, if they didn't succeed there they have nothing else 
Yeah, and I think that there's a societal shift around this right now too, um, because the stigma around mental health is changing so much right now. Mm -hmm. But I think in the past, in especially our younger generations, um, like when you and I were growing up and Mm -hmm. kind of what formed us, you didn't talk about these things. So the millennials and kids that are growing up now they have this different idea of what they should be talking about because a lot of these things are so openly discussed right now. But when we were growing up, it was completely taboo to discuss this. And on top of that, we were in this area where human feelings like feeling anxious or feeling sad were diagnosed as anxiety or depression instead of acknowledging that they're human emotions and giving tools on how to um, deal with those emotions. Instead, um, they were medicated. And so now we're in a situation and a society where we're much more informed on kind of how to deal with those emotions rather than just putting a label on them. And that is opening up these discussions in a more real format as well. Completely agree. I mean, I've now on several podcasts and then obviously on this one on my own uh, have, have started to talk about, you know, some of my struggles descending the mountain as I've, if I, as I've put it um, and, and then finding a new one to scale, but that descent, that's that, that low point, that sort of, situation of like, hey, I'm, I've gotten ahead, like I've done the things that I'm supposed to do, or I've taken the steps and, I'm, and I've gotten the promotions, but I'm not happy. And really addressing that and then deciding like, hey, maybe there's an alternative way, another way to play, if you will, and identifying it um, as a discomfort or an issue that, that needs to be addressed. Because if someone's in their 20s or early 30s even, uh, and decides like, hey, I'm not happy, but I've got another 30, 40 years, um, if I don't make a change and do something like that, that's like the whole point of what I'm trying to bring forward in these conversations on this podcast. Yeah. I mean, giving yourself permission to change your path is one of the hardest things to do, especially the further in you get. So speaking from the legal profession, I mean, I put in a ton of years, more years than I should have because of the way my story started, but I put in a ton of years getting to my law degree and then a ton of time passing the bar or studying for the bar and then passing it and building my career. And when you start to think about changing that for any reason, um, you, you feel like, you don't have the right to change because you've put in all this time. And so giving yourself permission to make those changes that are so necessary and also realizing that you don't have to choose, like you can have the best of both worlds. You just have to figure out how that fits in with your purpose. And that's where understanding why you enjoy the things that you enjoy and understanding the purpose um, of what you're trying to accomplish out of a career will allow you to pick Um, the best out of both worlds of the things that you might be working on to create a fulfilling life. I I heard you say something that's like, what do you hope to get out of this? And I, to me, that sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but beginning with the end in mind. Yeah. I mean, as far as like for, um, for me specifically, um, because sometimes it's hard to explain in ambiguous terms. So Mm -hmm. specifically, like for me, um, I had to think about what I enjoyed out of the legal practice Mm -hmm. and why it was so important for me to stay in it. And it was the fact that I'm impacting people, I'm changing people's lives. There's also that feeling of accomplishment from being able to graduate from law school and feeling respected by your peers. And so 
when you can sit down and identify what it really is that you, that's giving you the satisfaction that your career is giving you, then you can look outside of your career to see where else you can get those same things um, that would provide you that same satisfaction and how it's not really your career that's providing that for you. It's the people that you're around and the things that you're doing and the people that you're helping. And you can identify other ways to do that that may give you more fulfillment and maybe more quality of life. So backing up, because to me, that feels like maybe step two or three, what we're just talking about, but like backing up to, to something on step one, like if someone's listening to this and they're, they're feeling the angst, they're feeling like they're not um, in the right place or there's something going on, maybe they're having that uh, panic attack, like you sort of put it earlier in some form or fashion, like what would be step one? Uh, would it be to actually have a conversation with someone or start trying to verbalize this in some way as we talked about just a few minutes ago or, or based on your experience, would you, would you direct them in a different way? No, one of my favorite sayings is that you can't be a part of the solution if you're part of the problem. And, and so when we, when we think about what that, what that really means, like we stand in our own way so much and we create these stories in our head of the way things turn out before we even see it actually play out in real life. And those stories prevent us from um, really seeing solutions to a situation. And so I absolutely think whether it's professional help in the form of therapy or whether it's a coach of some kind, a lifestyle coach or a business coach or whatever you feel like best suits your needs, I think you have to get somebody else involved and somebody who is unbiased. So this is Mm. where sometimes family and friends don't um, serve your needs the best. They may have the best intentions, but they also have biases from knowing you and knowing what they with how they perceive what you've accomplished or um, what your life has been. So if you can get somebody that is completely unbiased, that allows you to talk through your problems, but lifts those screens and filters that you've created, you'll be able to um, start to see other options for steps two and three and you know whatever mm-hmm. else in, it entails in that journey. Completely agree. Um, I actually also, I hired a life coach at one point and we worked together for the better part of a year, not during the early part of my journey out of the Olympics, but maybe towards the second half of it, once I kind of got myself rolling into real estate. Um, but he was tremendously helpful. He was actually a guest on the, on the show, uh, Frank, and I'll, I'll link to his episode, um, for those of you who want to hear from him, but he honestly helped me like reframe so much of my thoughts around getting married and getting engaged and then what my work meant relative in my success or failure of the Olympics. And like, gosh, like I cannot even say how valuable that, that time and that money I spent was um, with him. And I wholeheartedly agree that getting some outside influences and, and investing in something like that, whether it's time, money or both is just so, so useful. Oh, 100%. And, you know, I just did a podcast interview on my show with um, somebody who we were talking about memories. And I think that that plays directly into this conversation because we were talking directly in relation to like um, thinking back to family events and you see things different than your family sees them. And it's all because of kind of your map of reality. And so when you're looking at 
the future or you're in a problem right now, you have a map of reality of how you see the world. And everybody else has their own map of reality. So if you can bring somebody else's kind of reality into that to show you that there are other mm -hmm. ways to accomplish things, then it allows you to see what's out there. This is why networking is so important. This is why going to events are so important. Um, just getting yourself around people who can show you other ways to accomplish goals because mm -hmm. you can't see something you don't know. You can't create something you don't know. Surround yourself with people who can show you these different ideas of reality. I'm reading this book right now that's talking about cognitive biases and how if you're a smart person, like IQ wise, you know, on paper, you can basically use the same exact facts to uh, support your opinion and, and you're just better at that than someone who's maybe a lower IQ. And so um, it, it, taught, it referenced, I think, a Stanford study that basically took a set of facts and figures about something really mundane that no one has any, um, any opinions about, which I, th I think it was like, uh, like picking pants or something. It was something really super mundane and gave a set of facts and figures and, and asked for input and then literally to the same exact people gave the exact same facts and figures, but changed all the topics to gun control relation and, and just changed the words to, from, you know, pants to guns or whatever. And basically found that the people who had politi political biases left, you know, said gun control uh, helps. And then the people uh, with political biases, right, said the gun control uh, hurts, uh, you know, deaths and, and shootings and such. And the only difference was the identification of the people who were answering this, the, the exact same numbers were the same. So um, it just shows that, you know, if you were left to your own devices, uh, you can very easily sort of talk yourself into certain ideas or philosophies um, that may or may not be true. And you'll find ways to support that regardless of, um, you know, what the actual truth is and, it, and as we've been talking about, introducing a coach or a friend or a mentor into that uh, equation can really help pull you out of that bias and, and put you on a path towards something that you may otherwise not have even seen. No, absolutely. And it's also important when we're talking about being willing to either open up about something like this, or um, if you're just thinking about making a change or you're doing something that's maybe... Um, kind of novel for your field and you're getting some flack or some criticism from people. I mean, anytime you're willing to put yourself out in any type of creative space, um, you're going to end up getting some criticism. And when we talk about things like this, if we use that cognitive bias and we start looking at people's map of the world and their map of reality, and we start realizing that the criticisms that they're giving have nothing to do with you, and everything to do with the way that they see the world, it gives you so much freedom to do mm -hmm. things the way that you want to do them. Perception is reality. Like if you can really understand that on a, from the basis of your own biases, like that, like the way that you see it is, is the way that you see it and that's real to you and that doesn't make it wrong or whatever, but it just, it's what it is. And using that information to identify when you might be getting in your own way is hugely powerful and that's that's something that a coach or a mentor or just uh, a friend can really help you with 100 percent. so shifting gears here because we are getting towards the end of our time um i am curious you you've you've talked about 
on your podcast, uh, More Than Corporate, pushing uh, out of your comfort zone a lot. You ask, I think all, almost all the guests, if not everybody, that question. So I'm going to ask that to you. What are the ways that you are currently pushing yourself out of your comfort zone? And then more importantly, why? So for me, um, physical is um, huge. And I talked a little bit about Tough Mudder. Um, I talk a lot in every interview that I have about um, the way that Tough Mudder changed my life. And it's because of this, this fact. And so I um, ran in 2017, I ran World's Toughest Mudder, which is a 24 hour endurance obstacle course race. It's a five mile loop with 20 obstacles on it. And you ran, you run it as many times as you can between um, about midnight um, or until from noon one day until noon the next. And so it, through that process, you face your physical limitations, but you also more than that face your demons. And when I'm struggling now in anything that I'm doing, there are times where I keep, I have a Tough Mudder water bottle on top of my desk. I keep my Tough Mudder, um, my 24 hour headband and my bibs out um, at home because I remind myself that if I can push myself through 24 hours of pure obstacle course hell in the mm -hmm. Nevada desert, that there's not anything that I can't accomplish, that I can do anything that I set my mind to. Um, as far as um, now, I still do some of the Tough Mudders and I still do some physical stuff, but I push myself out of my comfort zone mentally a lot. I mean, mm -hmm. just doing some of these courses and learning about how the mind works, it's super uncomfortable when you realize that whether you're successful or whether you're not successful is because of you and owning that and being able to kind of um, use that power um, is out of my comfort zone for sure. Why do you think that is? Because I, I, the truth, like, like we talked about before with that cognitive bias thing, like the truth of like how your brain works and then recognizing like, Ooh, I've actually been, I, I, I'm the problem all of a sudden, like, as opposed to whatever other thing you're identifying, um, why do you think that is so tough? Because we always, I, I think it's human nature to want to identify a cause and um, figure out what, um, what the source of any type of contention, or I, I don't like necessarily using the word failure, but um, if, if we're not being successful in what we're doing, why are we not being successful? And there's a really great video on this about this idea of being optimistically uninformed and the idea that we're like, oh, this business didn't work. So let me go try this other business and let me go try this other business. And they all fail. And you get three or four businesses in before you're willing to accept that you're the common denominator between mm -hmm. those, those things. And I think it just comes down to not wanting to accept that um, we have faults that we can change. It's easier to see faults in other people and it's easier to place blame and fault on external forces than to admit that there are really uncomfortable conversations we could be having with ourselves that could skyrocket our success. And, you know, tying that back into, you know, another way to play and, and kind of setting yourself up, like you may be the obstacle. I know in the end of 2016 and 2017, I sure was for, in my own life. And then addressing those things and understanding them really helped me, uh, then identify opportunities that were there the whole time, but I just didn't see and ultimately have put me in a 
place where I, you know, started this podcast and, and on an amazing real estate team. And I think with you as well in your law practice and your podcast and some of the other things that you're doing, you're a fantastic testament to that, uh, certainly, because based on what I'm, our conversation so far, you've had a lot of excuses that you could have leaned on if you chose to. Well, and I did lean on have. them. Yeah, I did lean on them for a long time. And, and I think that that's where, um, you know, taking ownership of that is powerful. You know, one of the events that I went to when they were selling their mastermind at the end, and they were talking about how they were going to show you the step-by-step process to do something. One of the things that they said stuck with me so much because he says, I can guarantee you my process works. I just can't guarantee that you do. And Mm. the first time that I heard that, I was like, what an asshole comment to make. And then I was like, you know what though? It's so right. Like if the process works and then you try it and it doesn't work, don't blame the process. Step back and think about what you might have brought to the table that didn't work and how you can change that and how you can make the process work for you in whatever you're doing. But when, mm-hmm. when I heard that, I just don't know if you work, I was like, wow, that hurts. And sometimes the things mm-hmm. that hurt are the things that we need to hear the most. Like when you get that, that pain in your gut, when you read something, because you're like, you know, it's true and you know, you don't want to hear it. But mm-hmm. if you accept it, you can just accomplish so much more. Lean into it. Totally. Yeah. And by the way, the, the book I, w- I read on my Kindle a lot, so I don't see the cover of the most of the books I read regularly. So I forget their names is thinking and bets by Annie Duke. Perfect. Um, she's a professional poker player and now, um, uh, has she, I mean, she coaches people on poker and, and has some pretty fantastic content out there. So definitely check that one out. Cause it's very relevant to the conversation we just had. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Fantastic. Well, um, Amber, thank you so much for sharing everything and, and having this conversation with me. I think you, you really brought a lot of value um, and, and definitely given me some more to, to think about relative to my journey and, and identifying my, what I'm putting in my own way. And I'm hoping the guests or the, the audience hear that as well. Before we sign off here, I do want to transition to our focus five round, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every show, and I'm really excited to hear what you have to say. So uh, speaking of books, uh, which book have you gifted most often? The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. (laughs) I still have that on my reading list. I can't believe I haven't read it. It's amazing. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? Ooh, um, ooh. This is tough. You know, honestly, and I know this is going to sound weird, but I think I would want to go back and have a conversation with my dad about things that I couldn't necessarily have a conversation with now because he was more of an entrepreneur than I gave him credit for. He had his business. Um, He was not employed by somebody who was self-employed my entire life. And yet we never talked about those things and we never talked about the ups and downs and, and the monetary side or the business side of what that was like. They just wanted me to focus so much on school. So I would love to be able to go back and have those conversations with him more to find out why we didn't have those conversations and figure out like what it was really like for him as a business owner. Cause I still don't know. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, What is one thing that you believe that most people would disagree with you on? What is one thing that I believe that most people will disagree with me on? Um, 
I would say that I don't, I don't know if I have one. I think that my, my beliefs are pretty, are, are pretty in line, especially after going through kind of the self-development. If, if anything, I would say that you are in complete 100% control of your successes or failures. I think that there are a lot of people who still put a faith in outside sources and, um, you are 100% in control of whether you succeed or fail. Love that. Uh, Give us a glimpse of your morning routine if you have one. I do. So I have, I listen to my podcast on Spotify and Spotify does this amazing um, your daily podcast compilation. And so I always start my morning with my alarm that goes off, which is Carrie Underwood's um, champion. Um, with Ludacris. Mm -hmm. And then I immediately roll that into listening to my podcasts that are listed on my daily podcast. And that goes kind of throughout my day in any Mm -hmm. spare time that I have, but I get at least one podcast in in the morning. Um, I take my dog for a walk, spend some time with her. Um, Depending on when my first appointment is, I may get a workout in in the morning. Otherwise I get it in in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I try to spend some time on a gratitude wall and setting out my goals for the day of what I hope to accomplish um, before I start doing, you know, the normal shower, brush your teeth, stuff like that to get ready for the day. Fantastic. Well, thank you for all that. I love, I love that you have that, that routine in the morning of, of your songs and your podcasts. That's that's a cool one I've not heard yet. Just to round this out, what is the best place that we can follow and find you online the most? So I am on Facebook. My personal page um, is probably where I'm most active um, under Amber Furman. I have my Facebook group for my podcast, which is More Than Corporate, the More Than Corporate community on Facebook. And I'm active in there a lot. I'm trying to do more with Instagram. And it's, I'm forcing myself to, so I expect to be active there a little bit more in the future, but I'm not necessarily right now. Fantastic. Well, I am also a, a member of your more than corporate Facebook group. So you'll see me in there from time to time. And then, uh, of course we'll link to that in the show notes. And, uh, if you, care to hear more from Amber, definitely check out her podcast, More Than Corporate. I'll link to that as well. It's fantastic. She's uh, been kind enough to bring me on as a guest and has some other really great people on there. So uh, definitely worth a listen. And then um, Amber, is there anything else that uh, you'd like to leave us with before we sign it off? You know, I just want to challenge everybody to just think about um, the areas in your life where you can really start to make an impact in um, your own successes and really like set down your goals to make that impact because it can start with the smallest things. And so I think as we all take that ownership, um, the world will be a much better place. Take ownership and control your own success and find those areas in your life. Thank you, Amber. Appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to connect with Amber, I've dropped her uh, Facebook and Facebook group in the show notes, as well as a link to her podcast called More Than Corporate Podcast. Uh, It's really fantastic. I've been lucky enough to be a guest on that show, and she is continuing to pump out really fantastic content, so go check that out. And uh, while you're in the show notes, make sure you check out uh, my Calendly link so that we can get a 
conversation scheduled. I'd love to hear from you about your experience with my podcast. Uh, anything you want to know about me, I'm happy to share about the Olympics or uh, my business or anything that I'm coming up against. Or um, love to hear your feedback as well about the podcast in general uh, and how I can make it a better experience for you. So uh, without any further ado, I'm going to sign it off. This is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at ChiefSNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play. Thank you.